Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. So today we are uh, continuing our series, Virtue and Vice, and we're talking about uh, the fruit of the Spirit and how our personalities all need the fruit of the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit of God. And in the fruit of the Spirit, it lays out uh, nine qualities or attributes of allowing the Spirit to lead us. And then we're looking at a a tool called the Enneagram and looking at how uh, each of those personalities actually desperately need the Spirit of God as well. And so really that's the, the framework. And then what we're doing is we're doing a sermon to the whatever that personality is. So Today, we're, we're talking about the four. The four is, is still in uh, the triad along with the two and the three. There are um, three different triads, nine personalities um, to begin with. But then when you get into the levels and layers, it's something like 648 just at the surface level um, of different personalities there are. But it helps you to get some, some large columns. And so the large columns um, that we're talking about, two, three, and four, they're in the this kind of the, um, the shame triad, the idea that I need to, to have more approval than others. So out of the nine, these three tend to need a little more approval from people. And then we'll get to the, the issues with the rest of us. But um, as we get to the two, we talked about how the two helps in order to be loved. The three performs in order to feel uh, loved and validated. And today we get to the four. Type four, uh, their primary focus of attention is the search for what is missing and to fulfill an ongoing longing for depth and beauty. Depth and beauty. Um, Type 4's, the archetype, tends to be a a type of of an artist. Um, They're in touch, uh, highly in touch with their emotional capacities, um, and they actually have an interesting connection to uh, darkness and depth because they're so in tune with beauty and joy that they're much more sensitive to the, the darker side. And depending on kind of how um, fulfilled a person feels or how healthy a person is, they can actually fascinate um, more with the dark than the light. And so um, it's important. Not everybody fits all uh, any kind of stereotype, never, ever, ever stereotype um, people. But that's what they're battling with maybe more than you will if you don't fit this category. They're battling more with the idea of, of beauty and darkness constantly uh, exposed. The unending yearning, the hidden struggles, the unending yearning to be a particular kind of person, someone who is uniquely talented, socially adept, and intensely desired. The nagging longing to be somehow different from who I am in order to be seen and loved, and the constant comparison with others that the ideal version of myself that I've created in my mind, the inability to see and appreciate the unique and positive attributes of who I really am. The Enneagram Type 4s never accept anything at the surface value. They have a compelling desire to search for meaning, depth, and authenticity. They tend to be sensitive at an emotional and aesthetic level, being attracted to beauty. They'll express themselves in very individualistic ways. Their emotional sensitivity means that they are generally very attuned to the environment with a specific attention to darker emotional tones. At times, fours may become dramatic, moody, impractical, and depressed with an overemphasis on what is lacking in their lives. They can be quite intense and quite withdrawn and generally have strong fantasy 
lives. Because they're always looking for what's more beautiful and what's more special and what's more unique. The longer they live in their own skin, fours tend to kind of want to live in a different thing. And so you'll, you'll talk to fours and they're, they're, they're always imagining um, different or more or better or something more beautiful. Um, fours also see themselves as extremely unique. They do not uh, want to be in categories. And as you can imagine, any kind of personality index for a four is a huge nightmare. None of us like to be put in any kind of box, but when you take somebody that desires beauty and aesthetic and, and I'm unique and I'm special, and then you say, well, here's kind of how your personality works, then they're like, no! So, uh, so if, you're, if you're a four, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, we love you, um, but, but um, yeah, you're unique like all of us. So, so type fours, the intense creative uh, or the tragic romantic, some of um, the, the uh, Enneagram books will describe them. Um, the rest fruit, I, I talk in terms of rest fruit because all of us have a, the fruit of the Spirit when we look at that list. All of us have what I call rest fruit, meaning that, that it's kind of natural for us to just naturally be this way. And so what's, what's the tendency is, is that when we look at the fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives, we have a tendency to highlight the fact that we're really good at, at, at a couple of them, you know, two or three. We're like, yeah, 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 I've, I've definitely got the Spirit of God because I'm so much this way. But the reality is we kind of have a rest fruit. We, we, all of our personality types kind of tend to do something um, maybe better or more efficiently than the others. And the rest fruit for the four is gentleness. Because of their heightened sensitivity, because of their heightened uh, sense of beauty and awareness, um, they tend to be gentle people. Um, they don't tend to be people that are going to be aggressive or assertive or try to hurt you. They have a, a highly tuned emotional state, and so they tend to be good, uh, gentle people, beautiful people to be around. But their vice is envy, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Their vice is envy. Now, their stretch fruit, what is the fruit of the Spirit that if they would learn and, and, and grow in and understand better and meditate on, what is the, the fruit of the Spirit that would allow them to, to be more healthy? It would be actually patience. And uh, I'll make the case and explain it in a little bit. Strengths of the four, they're artistic. They're, they have a heightened sense of beauty and harmony. They grasp moods and, of, and feelings of others very well. They're highly expressive. They're sensitive. Um, they are original. They, they tend to try to do things others aren't doing. They're intense because of their, their uh, heightened sense of awareness. They're, they're more intense uh, creature. And they're also uh, creative. They tend to be uh, expressive. The weaknesses to the four is that fours love to long, meaning that they're, they're, it's this incredible dance, this... Uh, this idea that I, I, I love the feeling of not being complete or finished yet. Similar to an artist, if you talk to them about a painting, many of them will say there's no such thing as a finished work of art. It's just a piece that's been presented to the world. And so that sense of longing, that sense of it's not quite done, they, they romanticize it and fall in love with that, that aspect of it. Um, becoming uh, sad because they perceive a fantasy world that could uh, be better than reality. They're never quite satisfied. They find it difficult to live in the present moment because the present always has deficits and defects. They're up and down emotionally, um, sometimes becoming dramatic and high-strung, possessive, eccentric, melancholic. And so the, the, the fours, as you can probably get a sense of, are kind of the, the wide range of emotional 
types of folks. So when you, when you bump into a four, you need to understand that like they, you may have, um, you know, hot and cold and they, they, they have this, this huge, beautiful range of a spectrum, both emotionally, aesthetically, um, experientially, they, they have a very broad, broad, broad range with which um, they work. The interesting thing, I, I, I joke, it's true, but I, I, I joke that when you, um, when you look at a four, they will, um, by their dress, now, now that they hear me say this, they'll try to switch it up on you, but, uh, but I, I, I've often found that I can tell how the emotional mind state of a four is on the day that I'm encountering them based on what they chose to, to wear that day. Um, fours have a tendency to either be bright, 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 colorful with all different kinds of, of color, like the, I joked about the peacock last week, that's genuinely a four, or they have a tendency to go full-on undertaker, like darks, 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 blacks, grays, you know, that kind of thing. And there, there's not a whole lot of, of room in between. It's, it's a light switch of emotion. It's like, yeah, or and so I, I joke with my four friends that um, I can kind of tell how they woke up that day um, because of what they're, they're wearing. They want to express it. But remember, they're unique. You tell them that. You tell them that. You're unique. Uh, the vice of the four being envy. Fours are often envious of others, especially if someone has that which appears to be beautiful or special. Since they fear the ordinary, they're susceptible to envy that comes from seeing someone who is or is perceived to be doing something more special than they are. And as a result, they can find themselves feeling dark as they believe that they are alone in their suffering. Galatians 5, and 23 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Everybody say patience. Patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. The stretch value of the four, patience. The word patience is long-suffering. To the four, suffering is common. That, that constant longing, that long, loving to long. Suffering for a long period with hope is not common. The Greek word macrothumia is a combination of words. Macro, which gives us our prefix, macro, macroeconomics means large or long. The root word, thumos, means temper. So literally, the word here means long-tempered or long-suffering, meaning whatever's happening to me is not going to engage me emotionally in the moment that it happens. So when we see that word, a lot of our translations will translate that long-suffering or patience. But have you ever noticed you don't need patience for things you're happy about? You ever notice that? It's not a time thing. Uh, we go to, when we go to amusement parks, you can clearly see this in our family. Uh, my wife doesn't believe at all that three hours is a ridiculous amount of time to wait in a line for a ride at Disney World. She does not, but she just thinks, it, she thinks I'm foolish. I'm the crazy one. Because I don't want to stand in line for three hours to ride 90 seconds of a ride. I'm the lunatic. But for her, it's normal. For my daughter, my daughter loves it. But can I tell you, we took a vacation this last Christmas 
And one of the days was to be at Walt Disney World. And my wife now, this is the advantage, uh, young people, of being married to someone almost 20 years. My wife said, babe, you can leave the park whenever you get impatient. Whenever you run out of patience, honey, I want you to feel free to leave. I'm not going to guilt you. I'm not going to hold you here. You're not going to feel hostage to Mickey Mouse. He's not going to extort $75 for a bottle of water. I'm not going to let that happen to you. I love you. And we have a rental that has a pool. You can just go home anytime you feel impatient. Do you know that we got there at, what, 10 o'clock or something, 9.30? I don't know what it was. We got there when the, when the gates opened. Do you know that Caleb and I were on the boat out of the park a little after 1 o'clock? <laughs> I had already had it. I was done. I was impatient. And I said, no. Why? Because patience. But my wife was experiencing the same exact thing. But to her, it's not long suffering. She doesn't need patience. She's there till two in the morning. Like in her brain, whatever, we'll do three rides. In my mind, no. Oh, good, no, and they're not even worth it. And I can tell how everything works in here. And that's outdated technology. Like, and I'm just I'm wanting to go. And I feel like, I, I really do, I feel like going to Disney World is, is me getting robbed by Mickey Mouse. I really believe it. Like, Mickey Mouse could have a gun in the back of my head, and I'd feel safer than I do currently going to Disney World. But have you noticed you don't have to have patience? for things you enjoy. You just don't. You just don't. But you need patience and you need long-suffering in the times when you, you do feel down, when you do feel like you, you're, you're suffering. But part of the fruit of the Spirit is that we would be patient people. I'm still working and I don't think he meant Disney World. <laughs> so the sermon for the four takes us to 1 Kings 19. I really see Elijah having a lot of these challenges. And to the four, I pray that as you get to know Elijah and you study Elijah, um, he's introduced, he has about three chapters in 1 Kings. But you really get to, to see that this uh, prophet of God that was used by God in a great way, he really had this, this tumultuous up and down emotional roller coaster, even though God was really good. Elijah was a prophet to the northern kingdom, um, and, and he had a, a, a being a prophet was a thankless job. He always had to go in and tell people that they were wrong, and I don't know if you understand this, but when you do that, it doesn't always go the way you'd like. It, it doesn't always go smoothly, and especially if you say, hey, I really think you're off track biblically, or God's not honored by the behavior, then it's just like, oh, well, you know, we're going to go ahead and fight. So here's what he had going on before we get to this. He had Ahab, the rain, and the ravens. Elijah told Ahab, uh, the king of Israel, that God would judge Israel for idolatry by withholding rain for three years. So that was a tough gig. And then Elijah went into hiding to the brook uh, which, which ran east of the Jordan to escape Ahab's anger. And it was there that the ravens brought food to Elijah to sustain him. So rough run in, did his job, but had to run. Uh, Zarephath. God then moved Elijah to Zarephath, a city located between Sidon and Tyre, 
about a mile inland from the Mediterranean, where he stayed with the widow and her son. The incidents of the flour and the oil, which were miraculously renewed, and then the resuscitation of the widow's son all occurred here. Then the false prophets were challenged. Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah to make an altar and ask that their sacrifice be miraculously consumed by their gods. He basically said, hey, let your God prove uh, who your God is. I'll let mine prove who my God is. Let's go. And so they had this great celebrity bake-off, and, uh, and Elijah, Elijah won. These false prophets called upon their gods for hours. They gnashed themselves with knives to no avail. Elijah then built an altar to the Lord, drenched it up with water just to prove his point. And then he asked the Lord to burn that sacrifice. The Lord sent down a fire from heaven. He consumed the sacrifice at the altar and the water. Elijah then had the prophets of Baal killed, 1 Kings uh, 1940. Prayer for rain was answered at the conclusion of a three-year drought of judgment. Elijah prayed for relief, and then the Lord sent a heavy rain to Israel. Jezebel, she wasn't happy. Um, that was the sin that did Jezebel in. Um, little Lauren Hill for you. Je- Jezebel's revenge, Jezebel's Ahab's wife, sought to take revenge out on Elijah because of the involvement of the deaths of the prophet at Baal. So he went ahead and, and knocked off the prophets of Baal like a godfather, and then uh, she was like, uh-uh, that ain't happening. And so she threatened his life. And so we pick up this story coming up uh, to this moment. Elijah's failure was that as a result of Jezebel's threats, Eliza shifted his occupation, his preoccupation from the Lord and his plan and his provision and the ministry he had given Elijah over to himself and his own circumstances. We, we roll up on Elijah in 1 Kings 19, 1-4. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent the measure to, measure, messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. What a gangster move. So Elijah was afraid, and he rose up, and he ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself, he went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came, and he sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Elijah had experienced this turmoil, never quite fitting in, trying to obey God, not being rewarded at all, from from trial to trial to trial. He was being asked to have long suffering. Now, psychologically, the fours in our life, they tend to always feel under that pressure that, that what I have and who I am is not quite enough. I'm not unique enough, special enough, bright enough. I'm not polished enough. I'm not whatever enough. And so the fours are, are, are dealing constantly with a similar mindset, maybe even in obeying God. But the challenge is, is that when we have patience, we have patience because we can think longer term. We have patience because we have a desirable outcome we can hold on to. We can have patience. We can have long-suffering if something matters at the end that is important to us. And so no matter what God has done before, we'll always lack if all we want is more. 
No matter what God's done before, we're always going to lack if what we're wanting is more. And so the, the, the four, Elijah, Elijah had been through so many things. I mean, you saw the list, but he became preoccupied with himself at that point. God had always provided. His previously, he'd always focused on others, even in the most difficult times. But then when he shifted to focusing on himself, there he gave way. There he gave in. And there he said, I might as well die. And he laid down and he slept under a broom tree, it says in verse 5. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord again came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights. To hear of the mount of God. Arise and eat. Everybody say, arise and eat. Arise and eat. The journey is too great for you. You see, we can have patience when we trust God as our provider. We can have patience when we trust God as our provider. There's no doubt every single one of us have gone through challenges, gone through things in our own lives to where we felt we're at the end. And, and, and some of us in this room, we could have a resume like Elijah. We could say, hey, God, I did that for you. And then I went over here and then I went over there and look at my resume. And you just look at this guy's resume and you say, man, that is tiring. Like, I don't really know very many people that were that in tune with God and that obedient and that faithful. But here he finds himself now saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm drained. I'm, I'm all out. But what he lost sight of, he, the, the, the challenges before him were just as bad as Jezebel's threats, but the difference shifted when he started to think about the provision of God. Up until then, it was, God, I don't know. I'm just going to be obedient. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I trust you. I'll trust you. I'll trust you. I'll trust you. But then he gets to this place to where he has his own pity party and it's like, man, I don't know, God. I might as well die. I'm going to get killed anyway. When we trust God, we can worship while we wait. When we trust God, we can worship while we wait. You see, it, with Elijah, in this, this, this waiting, if he's trusting in God, and he knows God has his provision. He understands that the circumstances are what they are. But you can maintain worship if you trust that God is your provider. If you trust that there will be an outcome that's to God's favor for your life. And it's in that season that you don't uh, have a short fuse. It's in that season where you do have long suffering. You do have patience. Why? Because I know the outcome's going to be okay. So whether you're a four or whether you're a different personality, I bet you could relate to the idea that there's value in long-suffering. Spirit of God, I need you to remind me that the outcome is to your glory and for my good. Even if right now, it is dark. Even if right now, I'm afraid. Even if right now, 
I'm being obedient, but the outcomes aren't as quick as I thought they would be. I can have patience. I can have long-suffering. Because I'm not focused on me and my circumstances alone. I'm focused on the God of my circumstance. Instead of want for wanting's sake, Patience calls us into long-suffering. We can long for suffering, or we can long for God. The four tends to romanticize that very act of, of waiting for that next moment. But instead, to my four friends, in those moments when you start to feel low, in those moments when you start to feel disconnected, in those moments when you feel like you're having the, just this long-suffering, don't romanticize the depths of the darkness in that moment. Take hold of the hope. And you have within you the capacity to turn the darkness into beauty. Instead of calling the darkness beauty. Take it and turn it and say, you know, I don't know how it's going to turn out. But my God. But my God. But in this case, he didn't see that. And so he goes on and he continues and it says, there he came to a cave and he lodged in it. He went on the strength of his journey for 40 days, came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I love when God asks questions. It's like, you know, he already knows. It's just like, really? We're wasting both of our time here. But he goes, hey, what are you doing here? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord. This is, this is the, I'm the only one. I'm special. Even in my suffering, I'm special. What are you doing here? I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, look at this, I, even I only, am left. suffering, but I'm, I'm special. Nobody else is like me, God. I'm going through a difficult time, but nobody can understand me. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Can you say that with me? But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord, say it with me, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Often, the wonder of God is found in the whisper of God. The wonder of God is not always found in the most extravagant thing. The most Beautiful, the most colorful, the most whatever can catch my eye, the most shiny object that's out there. No, the wonder of God is often found in being so close to God that you can hear Him whisper. 
I wonder how many of us are looking for mighty winds and earthquakes in our lives. We're looking for that great fire. And because we're not seeing that thing, because we, we have prejudged God, we've preconceived how God's going to work, because we're not seeing that, suddenly we get like I do at Disney and we say, I want out of here. I'm not seeing the payoff the way that I thought, so I, 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 need, to, I need to get out of that. But patience, long-suffering, a wait, a whisper. Therefore, in this moment, you might feel insufficient, not enough, like you're missing out on something. Someone else has the spotlight on them and you don't. But I want you to know you're not insignificant. But as you long for a day to clearly see in full color, get to know the God of the whisper. Patience, long-suffering. That in this moment, it doesn't have to be fireworks. In this moment, it doesn't have to be a New York runway of color. In this moment, it can simply be a whisper. Long-suffering, patience. He goes on in verse 14, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. He repeats himself to God. God said, hey, why are you here? And he's like, hey, I'm the only one. And God comes close, fire whisper, and he says, hey, why, why are you here? I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. He's making the same case. And, cle- and, and killed your prophets with the sword. And say it with me. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. For as gentle as I can be with you, and really with all of us, and today just happens to be more to the fore. We in the, the Western church, we've so individualized the gospel of Jesus Christ that we genuinely view our whole spiritual encounter with God in these terms of I, me, my. And Elijah's like, my spiritual reality is all I can see. And I'm going through this, and that's all I know, and so I'm going to react emotionally right now based on what I can see in front of me. I'm going through it, and I'm the only one. I want you to see as loving as I can be for you. God's response to Elijah. Not a, not a, he's not a, a derelict. Elijah's not a, a bad guy. Elijah's not a person that's been, been a hellion his whole life. Elijah's a faithful, faithful, faithful friend to the cause of Christ. But, but here's what he says. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way, to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nephshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Snapchat. Sorry, it was too easy. Abel Benoah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, whoa, Let's rewind. What? I'm going to anoint somebody to be prophet in my place? 
I thought I was the only one. I, I, th I thought it was only me, God. You want me to anoint somebody to replace me? And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave. Look at this. I want you to see this. Yet I will leave. How many? 7,000 in Israel. All the knees that have not bowed to Baal. And every mouth that has not kissed him. You know what he's telling Elijah? Mr. Look at what I've done for you lately. Look at how unique I am. I'm the only one. Everybody else has bowed. Everybody else is a sinner, not me. I've been the one. You know what he's saying to him? He's like, bro, not only go back home, go back home and anoint your successor. You're not the only one. This is the story's not about you. I could use you. I could use Elisha. And oh, by the way, while you're at it, please understand, I'm leaving 7,000 people just like you. 7,000 that were faithful. 7,000 that never bowed the knee. 7,000 that are praying to me right now to be obedient. Several thousand. Don't make your faith just between you and God to the point that you alienate the fact that God's at work everywhere with lots of people. And when we have this, this idea that what we're going through is that much different than everyone else, we start to elevate self. I'm so much better. I'm so much more committed. So much more special. He said, you know, now go back. I'm gonna, I got a replacement. By the way, there's 7,000 people that didn't bow to Baal. You are uniquely you, but you're not alone. And you are certainly not alone in suffering. Long-suffering is the fruit of the Spirit that best helps us to see that while we're wonderful and creative and we're emotionally charged, we're not alone. God is the God of everyone. And every day is a day for flowers, when we have Him. He is our source. He is our strength. And get this, God is the only one who's ever made anything original. Even the farmer has to borrow God's dirt. So for all of us, We don't enjoy patience because the only time we ever have to use patience is when we're not happy. But the fruit of the Spirit is patience, long-suffering, meaning that when I'm being led by the Spirit, my personal wishes, my personal wants, my agenda, my drive, can take a back seat to the cause of Christ in my life. And so when the Spirit of God has His rule and His reign, then I can hang on through the drought. I can hang on through the threats. I can hang on through the uncomfortable seasons of life I'm bound to go through 
And I can do it all worshiping God because I trust Him as my provider. And so whether you're a four and, and you always feel this angst, please ask the God to give you long-suffering and patience. Or whether you're like the rest of us who definitely have bouts with this, please ask the Spirit of God to grant you patience and long-suffering. Focus on the long game of worshiping God. Focus on the fact that He's your provider. Focus on the fact that everything is going to be okay. Um, as a pastor, I've shared with you, I often have to walk with people through the darkest days that they're going to face. And I often am insufficient. But this, my friends, is the one thing that we have to offer one another during the midst of all these trials. That there is going to be a day when there are no more tears, no more sadness, no more pain, where we don't need the sun because Jesus is the light, where we sing voluntarily glorious songs of hallelujah and great praise to our God. And these present trials the Bible says, aren't worth comparing to the glory that awaits us in Christ Jesus. And as a Christian, brother and sister, our theology teaches us that we are in a fallen world and none of us, none of us, have a get-out-of-world-free card. None of us are able to walk through this life without suffering of some sort, without, without pain, without injustice, without maltreatment. Not, none of us. And so, brother and sister in Christ, in these seasons when you're well, you're, you're well and you're healthy, and these seasons where you can move with all your, your, your extremities and you can wake up and, and jump in your day. In these seasons where you can breathe with all of your lungs. We have it all backwards. We take advantage of our health. And then we get upset when we are up face to face with sin and brokenness. But what we're called to is the opposite. I met with a friend earlier this week and he's down to a small percentage of oxygen. He has a lung condition where the illness is actually inside of the layers of skin in the lung. So for over a year, he's been carrying around oxygen in a tank behind him. And he's going in for some experimental surgery. And so we were praying through this and talking through this. And I realize the value of my lungs. We have a young woman in the church who I haven't seen her. I don't believe she's here today. Went into the hospital this week believing that she had suffered a stroke. 
But we don't thank God for fully functioning facial muscles. And, and I want to encourage you, my brothers and my sisters, please, no longer take advantage of the joys of this life and then get mad at God when it's broken. But rather, retrain through your discipleship to worship God with those lungs. To praise God with that mouth that can move freely. To help your neighbor with the muscles that you have that are going to fail you eventually. And when you have a good back, push a cart. Pick up a child. Do these things now as worship. So that when things come and hit you sideways, you're not sitting there saying, oh. You're sitting there saying, okay, Lord, I'm not home yet. This is not what you promised me. This is not the earth. And I'm not surprised. Now, it doesn't mean you can't be sad. It doesn't mean you can't mourn. It doesn't mean that. But what it means is, I'm not going to let the devil steal away my worship simply because it was my turn to experience the wrath of this world. No, I'm going to worship every day when I wake up. And I'm going I'm to push forward and advance the cause of Jesus Christ with my life. And until the days when this world hits me sideways, I'm going to advance the gospel of Jesus. And I'm not going to just wait back on my heels and then say, oh, my, woe is me. No, woe is a lot of people. Woe is most of this world. So I want to encourage you, patience, long-suffering. But the only way you can do it is when there's worship. And when you're trusting in God that the end is going to be okay. Let's pray.